Now, my problem is that I can't read my own notes, and so I've got a note here, something about this joke having to do with New Year's resolutions, because, you know, this is the time when we make them, right? But anyway, I couldn't figure out what this joke had to do with it. But anyway, a guy pulls into a gas station, and, uh, you know, it's a convenience store gas station, goes into the convenience store, and as he's going in, he notices two cops standing outside drinking coffee, and they're watching somebody, a guy who's uh, filling up his tank, and he's smoking a cigarette while he's filling up his tank. And the guy kind of wonders, well, why don't they do something about it? And so he goes in the store, and he gets whatever he was going to get. And as he's coming to the checkout, he hears all the shouting, and he looks out the window, and this guy's sleeve has started on fire and he's swinging his arm and going all around and and the the cops get the guy down on the ground and they're pouring out their coffee on his arm they put out the fire and by the time the guy gets out there the fire's out and everything they put the guy in cuffs and one you know they put him in the car and another guy's walking toward the store cops walking to the store and he looks at the cop and he says so you're arresting him because of uh, of his irresponsibility and 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 smoking while he's tanking up and he said, no, we're arresting him for waving a firearm. <laughs> now I remember. My New Year's resolution is to find better jokes for next year. So um, the message actually is called Walking uh, into 2020. Walking into the new year. And this is sort of going to be a, if you can understand this, this is really uh, a sermon to my own soul, and I'm just going to let you in on it. So if there are some parts of it that seem a little jagged, just understand they're really meant for me. There's a film from years ago um, called The Natural, uh, about a baseball player. Uh, And the interesting thing about the story is that he could have been the best baseball player because he was a natural, right? But if you have seen that movie and remember the story, he just mucked up his life uh, pretty much at every juncture. And so all of that potential and all of that capability never came to be. And... So as I'm looking at 2020 and walking into a new year, that's kind of what I'm thinking uh, and maybe musing about with myself. I've been in a lot of churches. I've met a lot of people who um, are living their lives on this planet, Uh, a lot of them who have no clue about Jesus Christ. And, of course, uh, they need to get a clue because why would you want to live on this planet and not have an idea what's going on? But... I guess where my heart really hurts and thinking about myself is people who really know Jesus Christ and seldom, if ever, really scratch the potential that we have in, in the Lord. And I, I, I don't think I would have to explain that very far. Uh, you know uh, who the Lord is, and you know how wonderful he is. And on the other hand, it seems like we struggle sometimes to get through a day or a week or a month or whatever and even come close to expressing what that is. And so what I'd like to think about, in a way, is maybe upping my walk another 5 or 10%. <laughs> you know, I'd like to say 20 or 30, but I know me too well, right? I won't do that. But if I could just do it a little bit, and maybe that would be the same for you. And I'm going to just focus on one thing at the beginning and come back to it at the end. Um, 
and probably be scattered throughout this. In 2010, there was a survey that somebody did, and in that survey, that was in 2010, uh, they said that 60 to 70% of Christians feel no compulsion whatsoever about sharing their faith. Okay? Now, I don't know where they get this stuff from, whether it's Barna or whoever, but I think you would identify with me feeling that there is so much to say, and I, I just don't feel like I do it enough. You know, the thing is, the, the reality of life is it's easy for me to come here and talk to any of you about the Lord. The problem is I walk out those doors and something happens to me. And I'm just not as willing to do it anymore. It's easy to sing praise in here, but to walk out those doors knowing the most important, the most magnificent, amazing person in the world Somehow I get locked jaw, my heart comes up in my throat, and I just think that something has to happen with that. So I'm looking at Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 through 20 this morning, and um, I just want to walk through those verses. These verses have meant a lot to me, and so kind of as we unpack them, I'm hoping that it will give us all maybe something to aim at because this passage is not about witnessing. This passage is not about uh, evangelism. This passage is more about um, the Lord and who he is and what he should mean to us. Now, getting up to Ephesians chapter 5 is kind of interesting because the first three chapters of Ephesians are like so cool, right? The majesty of what God has done for us. In you he made alive when you were dead in the trespasses and sin, in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. And it goes on, and we have been seated together with Christ. By grace you are saved. I mean, it's amazing, right? It's just way out there. And so when Paul starts talking in chapter 4 through chapter 6, he's talking about the nuts and bolts of living our life, walking in a way that reflects the reality, that's a heavenly reality. So if this is all true, this is how you should walk. So we're going to be talking about walking. And the point I want to make just before we get into this is that culture is a killer. Culture is a real killer. And that really is setting up what Paul's about to talk about in chapter 5, verse 15. We don't even think about it. We're so used to living in the environment that we live in that, you know, we think we're different because we don't smoke and we don't chew and we don't, I don't know, do some dumb stuff that other people do. But see, that is really not exactly the mark of the Christian life. That isn't exactly what makes us different. What makes us different is going beyond that and fully following Jesus Christ. I mean, I can find unbelievers that don't do a lot of that stuff either. And they don't know anything about Jesus. I can find people in other religions who live more pious lives than we do. That really doesn't have anything to do with following Jesus. Following Jesus means like being an ambassador, going out there. You know, in the, 
in the Bible reading this week, and this is why I always think you need to read through the Bible every year, because you just come in contact with some verses that you just don't see all the time. In the, in the chapter in Revelation uh, for yesterday, it says this, just two things in, what is this, chapter 19. It says, um, uh, your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus of Jesus, Okay, the testimony of Jesus. And then this angel goes on and says to John, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So when we testify of Jesus, there's something about the spirit of prophecy. And you know what's so cool is that when you see what Jesus taught his guys to say, what Evangelism 101 looked like for the apostles, all he told them was two things. Tell them the kingdom of God is coming and they need to repent. The kingdom of God is coming. I mean, that kind of goes down to what JP was talking about this morning, you know, in the breaking of the bread. I mean, we have a forward view. We are going to be changed. There is, it, there is nothing static about living right now. And that means glory for us, maybe, but it doesn't mean glory for a whole lot of other people. The Bible is built on prophecy. Uh, what were those verses I read on, on the 24th about um, uh, those words that God said to the serpent? I will put enmity between your seed and her seed, and he shall crush your head, but you shall bruise his heel. That is prophecy, and that is redemptive prophecy. Talking about Jesus is talking about the whole thing. Saying the kingdom of God is coming, interestingly built into the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. That is what is supposed to set our vision every day. But in this culture we live in, it's becoming less politically correct than it was in the 70s and 80s to talk about Jesus. I mean, we, we, it seems like even though nobody has told us, nobody has yelled at us, it's just that it's harder. I mean, we... Some of you old-timers, I mean, you younger people, you won't remember this stuff, but remember the Jesus film? Right? Is there a Jesus film now? Remember, everybody knew about Campus Crusade. Here's Life America. Are there any crusades or anything happening nowadays? No. And I'm not talking about going back to the old times, but it's just like our voice has shrunk. And there's a very interesting thing. When Jesus talks about... Um, uh, the, uh, the wheat and the tares, and the angels going out at that last day, and they're going to gather out all causes of sin and all evildoers. And it says then, and then the righteous shall shine like the, um, like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. Because there is something that's dulling our shine right now. And if we don't get over it, we're not going to be able to experience and, and live up to that potential that God has given us. There is something that is holding us back. It always amazes me, okay? Now, you know that I preach long, right? Moses preached for a hundred years. Try that, right? For a hundred years he preached. How many people got on the ark? Eight. He preached for a hundred years and only eight people got on the ark? J. 
Genesis 6 starts out talking about the culture. It took everyone's life. Moses never had it. I mean, Mo, did I say Moses? Am I doing that? Yeah. You know. This year I qualify for Medicare. <laughs> Noah. You, you mean Mr. and Mrs. Noah never had any other kids? They had those three boys in his 500th year. Around 500, right? They never had any kids. Mr. and Mrs. Noah didn't have any brothers or sisters. How come only eight people got on the ark? Because the culture was saying there is no need. And folks, here's the thing. That's how we feel too. We love the privacy of our homes. We love the joy of our church. And it lives within this tiny little bubble. But that is not what Jesus commanded. When he says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. You look at those commandments. He doesn't say don't smoke. He doesn't say don't drink. He doesn't say don't swear. He says, be witnesses. And that's the commandment we don't like. Because we're afraid. But if we go by what JP was talking about this morning, hey, uh, the future is solid, right? They can do whatever they want to us. In fact, that's what wins the day in Revelation chapter 12. Read it. They conquered Satan by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. And it tore his power away and it opened up in an amazing judgment. Anyway, not quite a um, rabbit trail, but it's the culture, right? So in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15, it says, Look carefully then how you walk. If this is something bearing down on you and dulling your mind and dulling your faith, look carefully then how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise. If you knew there was something out there, you would be alert to it. You would be active and aware. And we know. I mean, we know, right? Maybe this is another reason to be in the Bible all the time. We know there are things acting upon us. Uh, reading this morning about the... Uh, uh, about Satan being released after the thousand years, and he went out and deceived the nations. If you read that, it's a pretty powerful passage because there was really not a whole lot to deceive them about. Jesus is sitting on the throne. I mean, everybody can see him on CNN and on Fox and whatever else they want to turn on. He still deceives them to start an uprising. Like, what's going on there? There's deception. So, Paul says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. What does that mean? It, I think it means, for me, it means tightening some things up. Getting over some things. Giving God a little bit more of my heart, a little bit more of my concentration. And, you know, obviously, I need to give him 100%. But none of us do, and we all hold back, and I do too. But, I mean... Maybe with 65, I'll finally get wise. It would be a relief. I think Laura would enjoy it, too. Why are you laughing? No. Um, so, making the most of your time because the days are evil. That The expression here, making the most of your time, means 
using every available minute for Jesus Christ. In other words, making the most of your time. You are in a situation, in this context, you're making the most of your time, winning it back, buying it back, using it for God. If you're at the post office, you're at the grocery store, you're at work. Realizing, you know, I mean, if if we were, now this is all hypothetical, right? Say we were in... Uh, one of these things, like, you know, a, a favorite Christmas movie to us is Die Hard, right? And um, think about it. Anyway, so you go through this experience where there's, there's gunfire and everything, and, and maybe this, is, this could happen in a third, third world country. You come out of it, and you're alive. And you rejoice that you're alive. And now you say, I'm going to make use of every second because I was dead and I've become alive. It's amazing. And you know what I'm saying, right? That's actually spiritual truth, isn't it? We just aren't that excited about it anymore. It's like, oh yeah, I'm alive. It's really amazing. Paul is saying use every available minute. If God puts you into a situation... How are you going to redeem this? How are you going to use it? You are an ambassador for Jesus Christ. There is no place to quit. That's what we are. And you know, if you have been made to be something and you don't do that, you should feel unfulfilled. Because we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. So walk not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of the time because the days are evil. And it comes back. We don't live in a good place. I mean, we I mean, we live in suburbia, right? We're not in a third world country we're having, where we're having to live from hand to mouth. We're not living in a place where the testimony of Jesus Christ actually could get you in trouble like in Greece. Or in Iran, actually get you killed. But the culture still works on us. The days are evil. And we've got to... I've got to get that into my head. So, using our time wisely, look then carefully how you walk. And I would say for Dan, he needs to really consider a little more how he walks into 2020. I have maybe higher expectations of what I think I should do. It says, therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. So, If you work back on this grammatically, if you don't know what the will of the Lord is, you're being foolish. Now, okay, so here's the deal. Is the will of the Lord a general thing? Well, it it can be, certainly, right? I mean, you read some of these things, and, and basically go to the upper room discourse and read what Jesus says to his disciples after he's been resurrected. If you want to get a, a clue of what some of these commandments are, but, and they're, they're general in that sense. What is the will of the Lord for the church? All authority has been given to me. Go forth and make disciples of all nations. Boom. We got that one nailed down, or we should. But I'm not still so sure personally that we do. But here's another thing. Living closely with the Lord, is that really a necessity in anybody's life? Living closely with the Lord. That you, would, you could say, if I were to talk to you, I know exactly what the Lord's will for me is today. I know exactly what He wants me to do. And I think what happens is we get into this fuzzy kind of life where 
I got from 5 o'clock in the morning to 10 o'clock at night to work with. And you know, as long as I stay out of trouble, I'm doing the Lord's will. Right? I didn't yell at anybody. I didn't kill anybody. I tried to be kind to people. That must be the Lord's will. What if living with the Lord was really something quantitative where you could wake up in the morning and say, okay, Holy Spirit, I know you're in here. What do you want me to do today? What would be a list, a short list of stuff I could get done today? And here's the deal. How many times did Jesus say it? Ask and you shall receive. Seek and you shall find. Knock and the door shall be opened to you. Really? Does that work? Jesus said so. For everyone who asks receives, he who seeks finds, to him who knocks will the door be opened. I think we can actually... Here, all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Or daughters of God. Okay? Got to widen that out. But, you know, sons generically, we're born of God. All who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. How are you being led by the Spirit of God? I think to myself, I'm not going to say this to you, but I think to myself, if I go through an entire day and I don't even have to think about the Holy Spirit, God who lives within me, as Francis Chan said, the forgotten God, how can I be led by somebody I'm not even mindful of? See, because here's the deal. We say we follow Jesus. You can't follow Jesus unless you're being led by the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit leads you to follow Jesus. So what does God want me to do on... And so, I'm just going to just break this down. I think that I can live the kind of life every day of the week where I know exactly one or two things that are God's will for me. And I get those done. I have good days when I do that. I know what to exclude in the day, and I don't, I'm not mad at myself if I don't get those done. But I do know that the Holy Spirit is urging me to get that, that, and that done. And I think that is a much better way to live. I think that's how God... We always say there's a relationship, right? But again, we get into this fogginess of mind where the relationship doesn't even have hands and feet. It's like, is, is he even there? Does he really even... I think Paul's saying here, get over that. Don't be foolish. Don't walk through life in a daze. Understand what the will of the Lord is. He's involved in every second of every day. That's a glorious thing. I mean, we talk to non-Christians about that, and we say, yeah, God would love to get involved in your life. And I hope he gets involved in your life. I'm happy kind of when he leaves me alone. That's not the life God has called us to. And I think that's what Paul is saying here. Understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery but be filled with the Spirit of God. Now, do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. Now, immediately, this is cool, I love this, is immediately when we see that word debauchery, we just go, boop. I don't do that. The one thing I haven't done is debauch. Right? I I can't think of a time in 2019 or 18 or 17 where I debauched. Right? So this verse apparently has nothing to do with me. Well, you might have a version of the Bible that says dissipation. Now. So here's the deal. Do not get drunk with wine. Do not continually be being drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. 
So what is it about this, this whole thing that Paul is talking about here? Because here's the deal. I think if we would have had um, computers and smartphones back when Paul wrote this, he may have said, he may have added something. The idea of dissipation is the idea here. See, because if you're not focused on anything in particular, why be focused on anything? I mean, you've got, it's your life, right? You can do whatever you want with your life. How you spend your evenings, how you spend your days, that's your business. It's not the church's business how you spend your days. It's not the church's business what hobbies you get involved in. It's not the church's business about anything. It may be God's business. See, because Paul is talking about something very clear here and very regimented. Be careful then how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise, making full use of the time that God has given you. But see, if you don't do that, then anything will do, right? What are we going to do tonight? I don't know. Nah. May as well drink some wine. Stumble into bed. May as well sit up all night playing video games. You know, and you get carpal thumb syndrome from that, right? See, this can be applied to anything because the idea of dissipation is the cool idea here. And it's the idea that, like, there's a dense fog. Have you, any, has anybody gotten fog warnings these last couple of days on your alerts? I have. So there's a dense fog sitting over Sugarland, but now it's beginning to dissipate. And it floats off. That concentration is gone. Um, when we first came to Christ, when I first came to Christ, there was such a focus and concentration. Man, if God would have said, Dan, run into a buzzsaw, it would have been run into a buzzsaw. Now I'm going, God, let's consider that a little bit. What the point is, is you have this deep concentration and focus on Jesus Christ, but as time goes on, it starts getting airy, and it starts to dissipate and float off. And what this word actually is saying is, anything that brings in a looseness of thinking, a lack of concentration. In fact, um, one of these things here, it says, um, what is this? Um, Oh. It has something to do with being able to live without thinking. And that's how a lot of people live, you know? The point being is that what Paul is saying here is if you're on assignment for Jesus Christ, like Paul says to Timothy, no soldier in service gets himself involved in civilian affairs because his desire is to please the one who enlisted him. That doesn't mean don't have any fun. That doesn't mean don't have a hobby. But it does mean don't live an unfocused life. And if you don't live a focused life, then anything else can come in. It can be games. It can be traveling. It can be whatever it is that deludes, deludes our walk and our focus on Jesus Christ. But... Be filled with the Holy Spirit. So what does that look like? Now, for a lot of people, you know, because of our, our cut of theology, being filled with the Holy Spirit is like, whoa. Okay. I don't know if we need to talk about being filled with the Holy Spirit. Well, it's a command. 
So we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And what is he saying? We all have the Holy Spirit if we come to Jesus Christ. We don't have to prove anything. I, you know, I could care less about speaking in tongues. I mean, I, we, Laura and I were just over in Germany. I was paralyzed in two languages. Come up into a conversation, and I'm trying to reach for a German word, and I'm trying to remember what the English word is, and I'm, I've got both feet firmly planted in midair. I, have no, I look like I'm catatonic going... I could care less about that kind of stuff. But being filled by the Spirit, now here, here's a little trick. All you've got to do is look at the passage to tell you what being filled with the Spirit looks like. It was so easy. So here is being filled with the Spirit. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. So I would say one of the marks of being filled with the Holy Spirit is you have a shepherd's mentality, a nurturing mentality. Remember in in, um, Hebrews where it talks about stirring one another up to love and good works. Our life, if we are filled with the Holy Spirit, is to encourage and strengthen and help other people. Why? For any general reason? No, because we're here on earth and we've been given this amazing privilege and this amazing challenge and there are people who are dying and somebody's got to do something. And so what we do is we encourage each other and we build each other up. And I think somebody who is filled with the Spirit has that Spirit. A lot of times you ask people, well, uh, we, yeah, we're going to church this Sunday. Well, what are you going for? Well, yeah, I need to be spiritually fed. Nah, that's a good one. Well, that's why I worship at church. Oh, that's a good one. Um, how about you're going to church to strengthen other people? How about that one? You are going to church to encourage someone. You, before you even go, I know this sounds like charismatic, right? You pray to God and say, God, would you put somebody on my heart? Is there somebody there that I can encourage? I can strengthen. Why? For the battle. To make them a harvester. So they bring out their, their sigh and they look, man, that thing is dull, man. You couldn't even cut butter with that baby. Here, let's work on that for a little bit. And you build them up. Somebody who's filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in songs and hymns and spiritual songs. The next one will get you too. Singing and making melody to the Lord with all your heart. <laughs> well, yeah, I'd, that ain't going to happen. Singing and making melody to the Lord with all your heart. That seems kind of girly, doesn't it? Kind of wimpy? Singing and making melody to the Lord with all your heart. You mean at church? This isn't talking about church. This is talking about your daily walk, how you live your life every day. How does that work? You shall love the Lord your God. What's the first? Yeah, you remember that the first and greatest commandment. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. See, this is, this is where the rubber meets the road. We, we talk a good talk. I talk a great talk. Singing and making melody to the Lord with all my heart. That means I've got a. There are things I need to exclude from my life, right? 
I mean, I, I, I shouldn't be thinking about those things. What I really need to do is just have a solid, undivided focus on Jesus Christ. Who in the world is he? See, because here is the wellspring of our witness and our testimony to God, right? See, if this isn't true of me, then why should I share this with anybody? But if it is true of me, if it is a, really a spring of water welling up to eternal life, how can I withhold that from other people? See, you can't. I remember when I first became a believer, listening to some people talk about how they witnessed, and this woman running up to another woman and saying, I have the most wonderful God living in me. And I go, oh, you know, yeah, you may not have a high IQ, but you've got a wonderful God living in you. And the thing is, why wouldn't that be true? Why wouldn't I be willing to do that? Why wouldn't I be willing to tell some, if, if he's really that wonderful to me and see, this is where I trip. I give the lie to what my lips say. Is he really that wonderful to me? And see, I've got to get over that. I think the thing that hangs me up witnessing is I really can't sing and make melody with all my, to the Lord with all my heart. I think I have, a tr- I have a problem with that one. So I'm hoping my walk gets better this year. And then the next one, being filled with the Spirit. Verse 20, always and for everything giving thanks in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God the Father. Hmm. Again, remember, this isn't a worship service. This isn't a church. This is just what you live personally. And here is the, the interesting thing about this. So, giving thanks for what? It doesn't say. It seems for everything. Okay, now, just to bring some scripture together, remember what it says in James? Count it all joy. For what? (laughs) You know, James has counted all joy when bad stuff happens? How can I do that? You know, here's the thing where it's talking, you got, by the way, you got the whole trinity in this verse, right? You're, you're walking by the Spirit, you're, you're, you're giving thanks to the Lord Jesus Christ, or you're, you're offering praise to the Lord, and you're giving thanks in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to God the Father. Now, what is it about the God the Father that we, we all acknowledge? I mean, it's in the Lord's Prayer. But even more, you know, like some of the jokes that we have. Like, you guys have heard a million versions of this joke. It's where um, Moses and Jesus and God the Father are golfing, and Moses hits the ball, and it go, it's going right into the pond, and all of a sudden the water's part, and it rolls up onto the green and hole in one. Well, Jesus gets up, and he swings, and he's going right for the pond too, but it skeeters right across the top of the water, goes up and into the hole. The next guy, who you don't know, he's unidentified in this joke, he swings, and he hits the water, and it goes in. But a fish swallows it. And the, sw- the fish swallows it, and just as the fish is starting to go in, an eagle appears like a lightning bolt out of heaven, grabs the fish, and flies up. And just as he reaches his optimum height, a lightning bolt crashes, and the the Eagle is afraid, and he drops the fish, and a fish lands right on the shoreline, and a ball spits out of his mouth. But it doesn't go in the hole. Rolls up the green, almost in the hole, and a squirrel runs up and grabs the ball and dumps it in the hole. And Moses looks at Jesus, and he says, I love golfing with your dad. See, because what we put together with that is God's sovereignty. 
how he controls all the affairs of life. And let me ask you, can you really thank God for all of that? The only reason that you are able to thank God for that, if you can, is Jesus Christ. Because of him opening our eyes and bringing us life and light. Therefore, we understand the scripture. Therefore, when we read all these these stories, it puts it all together for us that God is really in charge, and especially he's in charge of what just happened in your life. And sometimes, I understand, it is definitely hard to give thanks. But this is an attitude of living on this planet. If spiritual truth is truth for us, and it is real for us, we've got to be able to do that, right, in all situations. So this last week, <coughs> John was ta- you know, John had the accident thing he was talking about. And so um, I'm coming back uh, uh, from meeting somebody, and I'm, at, I'm on Highway 6. I don't even know what direction I'm going. I'm going toward Sugarland Down uh, Town Center, but I'm on the other side of Highway 6. The light turns green. Somebody makes a left-hand turn against the light. I don't know what she was thinking. The lady in front of me, I don't know what she was thinking, bangs into her and then pushes into a, a pickup truck. And, you know, I'm just like all adrenaline at that point, right? I mean, I'm, I'm witnessing this accident and everything. So I pull around and, and two people got out of their cars. And, uh, you know, I said, are you guys okay? The girl who caused the accident is just sort of meandering down Highway 6 toward the town center. And I'm going, whoa, what's going on here? So I saw a cop coming, so I got in my car, and I followed her, and I, I got to her. I, she went in the town center, and I just kind of rolled down my window uh, uh, and said to her, you need to stop. The cops are looking for you. I saw them go the other way at 100 miles per hour on Highway 6. They missed her. I said, go over to men's warehouse and just sit there for about 15 minutes. I'll be right back. So I went over, and I told them what happened, where she was. There was another cop who came. So... In the midst of all this, they say, hey, we need your, we need your number, you know, because so, you were a witness to this accident. We really appreciate you helping and everything. Well, my church card doesn't just have the church information. Actually, my church card uh, is sort of a coupon for a free lunch if you use it wisely. That's why I don't give any of you my free card. Uh, my, so the thing is, I've got like a little witnessing thing I do on that. And, man, I'm handing them out to the cop. I'm handing them out to the the, the people that had the accident, the, the poor girl, I mean, she looked like a teenager. You know, she's crying on the phone room, I don't know what to do, Mom. And so when I got back to men's warehouse, the mom came up and thanked me. I said, yeah, here's a card. I mean, realizing that God puts us in all sorts of weird situations for a reason. So what is the application to all of this? What is 2020 going to look like? And, and I'll just be really honest for you. I've been in no church where I've been able to see this happen. You know, we talk about the harvest and everything. I'd love to see. You know, I, I mean, I, I, I pastored in a farming community. And, I mean, this is uh, putting bread on the table for people. I mean, if they come to the end of the year and they don't have a harvest, they're like, you're looking for federal aid or something. Or maybe selling all their equipment and looking for another job. This is the churches are the only place I've ever seen that cannot have a harvest and still survive. It would be neat to see some people who were led to Christ who stuck here. Now, I, I appreciate the people who the Holy Spirit just 
makes wander in. You know, those are, you know, go like this. That's the Holy Spirit doing his work. But wouldn't it be neat if the, the gathered and concentrated focus of our testimony, everybody doing what we can do, I'm sure we would have maybe ten people at the end of the year, maybe five. I, I'd settle for five who had given their lives to Jesus Christ who are now a part of what we're doing here. But we can't do that unless we're all doing it. And we can't do it unless we all really put our hearts before the Lord and say, you know, I believe in this reality, but I'm not sure I'm living it. Can you do something to help me? And so the application is just simply this. Um, Look carefully then how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise. Redeeming the time, because the days are evil. And do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not allow anything to dilute your focus on Jesus Christ, because that will just keep you unfocused and unconcentrated in and not close to him, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Allow the Holy Spirit to lead you in such a way that you have an attitude of help and of, of strengthening for, your other, for other believers so you can build them up, so you can work together. You know, anything I'm talking about here really is not you alone. It's us together. Jesus sent his guys out in twos, and we always think it's up to us. Find a group of people here at the chapel that you can pray with. Find a group of friends that you can say, hey, can we, let's try to reach out together because I guarantee if you try to do it alone, you won't do it. That's why we are in a group like this. Addressing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, learn how to let your heart overflow with praise. To the Lord for all of who he is. You know, we lose that first love and then we become church people. Let's not lose the first love. And then let's give thanks and everything to our Father through our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of him, we have peace with God. We understand. We're seated with Christ in the heavenlies. I mean, we got nothing to lose. Now, I'm going to um, I'm going to at Dallas Seminary, we were taught that it's three points in a poem. Or did they tell us not to preach like that? You know, I'm getting old now. I, I can't remember, so I'm going to give you a poem. I, I want to ask beforehand, though, how many people um, remember that probably in the last year, I have suggested maybe a dozen songs to you uh, that, that I thought were good songs that kind of have a heart of, of, of something going on. And how many people have gone home and listened to those songs? So you brought this on yourself. You brought this on yourself. There's a uh, little ditty of a song written by a guy named uh, Martin Smith. He used to be with a group called Delirious, and uh, uh, I think his last song is Waiting There for You. But, I mean, there are sometimes it's the simplicity, isn't it? The simplicity of our walk with Christ, the simplicity of our thanks, our hearts overflowing in joy for him, that really gives us the strength that we need in life. And so this, this song is probably like 30 years old, you know. Uh, but I really, uh, when I take time for my soul, I love 
listening to and singing this song, and it goes something like this. <clears throat> By the way, if your ears hurt when we're done, Tylenol will take care of it. It goes, King of love, you've called my name, you gave me life, although the shame had covered me, you took my hand, and here I stand, I'm saved by grace. Father God, you heard the prayer from deep within. My spirit cried, if there's a God, come rescue me. Now here I stand, I'm saved by grace. I will thank you for saving my soul. For you've shown me the truth in your word. I will take up my cross and follow you. Now I live for the glory of God. Now we turn to walk away from selfishness, the pride and hate. And when we pass through stony ground, we'll gladly walk upon our knees. So we cry out, come change us, Lord, into a church that loves your word. We will return to knowing you. With joy we walk beneath the cross. We will thank you for saving our souls. For you've shown us the truth in your word. We will take up the cross and follow you. Now we live for the glory of God. Now we live for the glory of God. Heavenly Father, we thank you for all of this glory. Um, it's much more than our minds can grasp. But Father, we desire to understand more. We desire to live more. And the, the truth of the matter is we can't understand it if we won't live it. So those things go together. So, Father, I pray in my life that you would help me to be bolder, that you would help me to be more in love with Jesus Christ. I'm not worried about what to say when push comes to shove and talking to another person, but I am concerned about my own heart. I'm concerned about the joy that I have for your son. Lord Jesus, you know what I'm saying to you. And so I would just pray that you would help me to focus my life where it needs to be. I thank you for your spirit. I thank you for all the things that you communicate to me through the day, the things that I need, the things that guide me, the things that warn me. But I really want my life to matter more for you. I want you to use me more, if that would be possible. And maybe that's the prayer of all of our hearts. We just would love to see our Lord lifted up. We would love to see people saved. We would love to welcome this into our fellowship, them into our fellowship and see them become disciples who would catch fire and be able to make disciples of others. Just thank you so much for your grace and love. In Jesus' name, amen.